to CU Progressive News, bringing you the many voices of the Champaign-Urbana community. This program is produced in the studios of WEFT in beautiful downtown Champaign, Illinois. We are indebted to the members of WEFT who have for 35 years provided the infrastructure for independent media in Champaign-Urbana. CU Progressive News, the podcast, is sponsored by Phoenix Botanical. Phoenix Botanical was established by healthcare and business professionals to provide exceptional service and quality medicine to those that can benefit from medical cannabis. Located on Neal Street in Champaign, visit phoenixbotanical.net for more information. Right, so we're going to have a great show today. We have a lot of things lined up, including an interview with Danielle Chenoweth, the um, new Cunningham Township Supervisor, an interview with Donald, who is a, Donald Todd is his name, and he is a member of the Unhomed community, and uh, he has some really interesting things to say, so we'll be hearing about that later in the program as well we are going to um, hear excerpts from the audio from a rally that took place on the campus on april 19th to commemorate the 1992 protest by latinx students and to reinstate their demands so latinx students got together and had a rally to commemorate the 92 protests so we're going to have all the audio from that I think it's about 20 minutes long, 18 minutes long. And I'm going to start by telling you about an event that's coming up. CU Indivisible is having an event on the 20th, Saturday the 20th. So if you're listening to this on Saturday, it's at 5 to 6 p.m. at the Champaign County Library. The CU Indivisible is a practical guide to the resisting of the Trump agenda. That's what the Indivisible guide was put out as. And CU Indivisible is a grassroots organization that uses that guide, the Indivisible guide, to help us influence local, state, and national politics. So if you want to get together with those folks, they're meeting at the Champaign County Library Saturday the 20th from 5 to 6 p.m. Also wanted to let you know about a Soundhouse concert that's coming up to assist uh, both WEFT and also called Feeding Our Kids. This Soundhouse concert is set for Monday, May 22nd at Riggs Beer Company. That's at 1901 South High Cross Road in Urbana. We are excited to be helping raise funds for the local organization Feeding Our Kids. Performers include Flaccid mm-hmm, and Mike Ingram of New Souls, as well as DJ Maggie Maru. Feeding Our Kids is a nonprofit organization that works to keep community children fed over the weekend and school vacations to help promote health and nutrition for proper learning. To learn more or get involved, check out the Feeding Our Kids website, which you can find from the weft.org website. For more information or to purchase tickets in advance, you can also check out their page on Facebook. All right, there's also an event coming up called Black Community Discussion. This event is on Sunday, May 21st from 1 to 3 p.m. at 512 East Grove Street in Champaign. Join the Black Lives Matter Champaign-Urbana in discussing ways to confront gendered violence in our community. In relation to prison abolition and police brutality, we must find ways to end behavior that harm those we share community with. The goal is to understand why and how this violence happens and work toward ways we can fix it to, bring, to build strong black communities. That event takes place May 21st from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Douglas center and let's see if i can tell you a little bit more about that um the discussion is actually called black community discussions behind the shadows of black manhood and i'm look trying to looking to see if that is open to all or if it is only open to black folks in the community that might be true. Black Lives Matter is generally has their meetings um, limited to uh, folks of color, but 
say it's limited to black folks, so I assume then that all are welcome. Also wanted to let you know that UC Books to Prisoners, which is a project of the UCIMC, is seeking applications for a volunteer coordinator. So please send resumes, cover letter, and three references to j at books2prisoners.org by Friday, June 2nd. That's j at b-o-o-k-s, the number two, prisoners.org. They're looking for an applicants for a volunteer coordinator. Urbana-Champaign Books to Prisoners Projects is a, an amazing organization that sends books to prisoners at no cost to Illinois inmates by mail as well as through two county jail libraries which they operate. They're a community-powered volunteer organization which is used guide um, which is guided using a consensus process their work is led by paid part-time volunteer coordinator performs a wide variety of duties ranging from community outreach reach to daily operation tasks in support of their mission their mission is to provide books to inmates in Illinois by recycling donated books to to facilitate a quality volunteer experience to offer a venue for inmates to tell their own stories and to educate themselves and the community about prisons for that position they're seeking a highly organized socially aware candidate to help us facilitate one of the most rewarding and engaging volunteer experiences in the community while facilitating the growth of their organization in the coming years and also wanted to tell you just a little bit about them. They have sent over 127,523 books in 37,900 packages to 18,917 inmates. So pretty amazing organization. And if you want to volunteer with them, their volunteer sessions are on Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m., Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m., and on the second and third Saturdays from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Um, if you want to get involved in a more intense way, you could become a uh, librarian at one of the county jails through them as well. But just um, know that uh, you can go to one of those open sessions and learn more about their organization. I want to thank Kevin Elliott for the music that he has provided for CU Progressive News through this time that we have been on the air. We are wrapping up our stint here on WEFT and WRFU. We are going to continue to have a podcast. Um, it's going to be a little bit differently. It's going to be sections, not necessarily one hour long show, but all the things that you hear normally in just the um the stories are still going to be being produced, but they are going to be broadcast through WEF's podcast. As well, you can find them on CU Progressive News and um, Calendar's Facebook page. And we really, 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 really want you to do that. We want you to go to the Facebook page and uh, look for CU Progressive news and calendar like the page so that you can um, have that in your feed and please learn how to do podcasts podcasts are very very cool um, very easy way to get information I get a lot of my um, political news through podcast I like listening to the intercept uh, Jeremy Scahill I like listening to democracy now by podcast I like listening to um, pod save America that's a lot of fun you can get the political news a couple three times a week from a gentleman who were formerly in the Obama White House and who have a very irreverent sense of humor and yet can bring you a lot of great information so Podcasts are easy to subscribe to. Subscribe, please, to the Weft podcast if you do it through iTunes. That's a really easy way to do it if you use iProducts. And if you don't, um, try the Stitcher app is one way to do it. The TuneIn app is another great way to do it. With TuneIn, you can also tune in to WEFT anytime you have a um, a a Wi-Fi connection, but with podcasts, you don't have to have a Wi-Fi connection. You do when you um, download the podcast, but then they're saved on your device and you can listen to them anytime. So it's a great opportunity and a great um, way to get your information and be connected to your community. I'm Sandra Otten with CU Progressive News. And now on with the show.
This is Sandra Auten with C Progressive News, and I'm here with Danielle Chenoweth, who is the new township, uh, Cunningham Township Supervisor? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> it's an elected position, and uh, she was elected to it this year and just took office this week. Tell us about the position in general, Danielle. Well, some folks, when they hear the word township, they think of South Africa, or they don't really understand what a township is. Um, township is a form of government in the state of Illinois, and they really have a very specific role, especially in urban areas like Champaign-Urbana, which is to serve the poorest of the poor, the folks who fall through the cracks, who may not um, be, you know, be able to get uh, assistance for needy families or get disability, but um, are extremely poor. So oftentimes folks uh, with mental health issues um, or who are awaiting disability have physical issues. So the money for the township comes from um, the property tax. Is that right? Correct. So the folks, there's a township in the city of Champaign as well. And so each city, the the households put in a very small amount each year. um, But together, it makes a pot that basically uh, the township supervisors are responsible for um, giving out to those in terms of assistance checks. There's also um, a rent assistance program. Um, It funds social services, many of whom are really struggling right now um, with some of the state, but with the state budget crisis. Um, And then there are additional programs that the supervisors can make based on the need. So we're oftentimes looking for all those folks who are falling through the cracks. What are the kinds of things that they'll need to help, you know, keep keep their lives viable. Mm-hmm. Well, when I went to your um, little open house that you had where you were sworn in, uh, you said that you had a four-point plan. Could you reiterate that to us? Yeah, so the the township has really, the Cunningham Township has shrunk to a very small portion of what it really could be um, doing. And so it's so far been just focused on providing um, general assistance aid to the poorest of the poor. And um, there used to be about 200 people on the rolls, and that has been very steeply cut um, in a kind of bright line decline over the last four years so that we have less than 30 people on the rolls. And that's largely due to paperwork errors, um, people not complying with escalating um, criteria, um, and just generally a lack of flexibility in the office. Um, And so... That's the first piece is that our office will continue to provide general assistance checks that that allow people to buy toiletries and other basic needs that they have, right? Um, and, the, and it's about $260 a month that they receive. Um, the second thing that we'll do, and statutorily we are required, the office is supposed to do this, is to provide referrals and assistance. So really help support people um, connect. So if they need dentures, if they need health care, if... Um, um, they haven't applied for food stamps if, you know, all that kind of assistance to help people get the things they need. Um, where are the food pantries? Um, a lot of the folks just in my first week, most of the people who walked in the front door were either homeless or very close to homelessness. So that was, so that was uh, you know, an interesting piece of that. So that the, the referral piece is important. And then the third piece, our office um, plans to work with um, – the providers in Champaign-Urbana, I think most people would admit that it's a little bit of a Swiss cheese um, in Champaign-Urbana, that, that um, some folks do their job very well, but there may be holes. And then there are other folks where it's really hard to kind of get through. And so we intend to provide advocacy for folks who come in. So if they're supposed to get service from a place and they are not getting that service, we're going to be working with that agency to try to figure out what's the stuck place. Where mm-hmm. can we help to um, to develop this? So, And then the last piece, which I think is so important to um, folks in Champaign-Urbana, really understanding um, what what it means to be poor and what that looks like is education. Um, so we are a community of contrast, to quote United Way. There are really haves and have-nots. We have a professional class with Carl and the university, and then we basically have a service class. The service class um, receives 
you know, basically minimum wage. Um, they're not living wages. People really struggle. And then there's all the folks who are unemployed because typically it's students who get those first kind of minimum wage jobs, which actually suppresses and keeps out other folks. And then there's the legacy of mass incarceration and all the folks who have been picked up on, you know, basically nonviolent offensive that have ended up in prison and have a hard time um, coming back into the community. So there's an underclass, right? And so one of the things that our office will do is to really help educate the public, the voters, the people who, this is your money, right? To really understand what does poverty, what's the face of poverty look like? Um, and instead of it being kind of pushed to the margins, really uh, welcoming people to tell their story and helping to get some of the stats and some of the um, stories in front of the elected leaders so that they can make smarter decisions and they can understand, you know, really the office shouldn't have gone this long um, in the shape that it's in where there's almost nobody being served um, by the office. So they only had 31 people being served? It's less than 30 who are um, on the general assistance rolls down from almost 200. Um, And it's also the case that there appears to be very little in terms of referral or things like that happening in the office. Now, the history of the office is actually quite robust. So if you look at the long view of Cunningham Township, it has been the welcoming, open arms place for the poor in Urbana. And um, it has a long legacy of really helping to support people. And I've heard so many stories of people who, you know, when they were kids, the township was essential for their parents just making it through, you know, and eventually they went on and were able to get college education and they can speak about that. And I want to, you know, pull up some of those stories. So I think that if we take the long view, the office has been really important. I think that um, uh, the the vision for the office has shrunk over the last four years, which is what motivated me to really kind of ground myself in Urbana and focus on poor people in this community. And honestly, the thing that really um, kind of motivated me is that when I moved here, it's been 22 years. I've been here since 1995. Um, I, there was one homeless person on the streets. It was it was homeless Bill, um, who has since passed away in, in Urbana. And if you go into downtown Urbana, you will see, um, you know, a many dozen fold increase of that. There are a lot of very visibly homeless folks. When I was on city council, there was about 250 homeless children. The last I checked, I, this may be out of date, it was more like 350 Um you know, we have 11 unaccompanied minors, folks who have lost their parents due to deportations in the schools in Urbana. You know, we really have seen a suppression since I moved here in the last two years. Uh, we don't have a home, an emergency homeless shelter for men. And yet the office where I'm at requires that somebody um, bring in documentation from a homeless shelter to prove they live in Urbana. Mm-hmm. And there's no homeless shelter they can get that documentation from. We like literally missing basic fundamental pieces to the infrastructure here. Um, And so we need, I'm really looking forward to working with the social service agencies in town and other governmental agencies, and also the public and the the churches and faith community and the grassroots nonprofit community to really look at like, how can we um, stop giving poor people the runaround? How can we basically develop a fabric that doesn't have holes? Um, and how can we take full responsibility for each other? Full responsibility. Um, it, you know, and so that's the spirit I want to bring to the table. What kind of budget do you have? Um, so it's $1.14 million, uh that comes in. I think it'll be slightly less. The um, tax levy was lowered. So I think we're at $1.12 um, for the year. And so that's a healthy budget. It's a small amount for each household might be somewhere between, you know, 50 and $100 per household per year. Um, and that allows us to really uh, make things happen for, for poor folks. So um, I welcome folks to come talk to me about what the need are the needs that they see, because I'll be doing some long range planning for the office. And how many staff do you think you're going to have? Well, um, right now it's just me and a support specialist, and I'm bringing on some folks could, who can help some um, case management. But honestly, beyond that, I really want to assess uh, and make sure that our staff is really matching the need and the program design. So I'll be doing kind of budget and program design first, and then, you know, building staff based on that. Go ahead, tell them where your office is. 
Um, so it's 205 West Green Street, which is just north, excuse me, just south of the Urbana Free Library. So it's a little office. You always wonder what it was. It says Cunningham Township. That's our office. Uh, feel free to stop by. Uh, we also want to distribute. Uh, there's a lot of folks who come into our office every day with needs. And so I'd like to be able to distribute fresh um, fruit to people. I want to be able to have some basic foods. We'll have a coat drive. So it'll also be a place, a drop-off point for basic um, goods for people to be able to come and collect. How long's your term? It's a four-year term. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what you can do in the four years. Okay. Thanks so much, Sean. Okay, so this is Sandra with CU Progressive News, and I'm talking to Donald. He is, uh, where are we at? We're near Westside Park, and you're, uh, uh, you got your luggage here with you. Yes, I do. You were telling me that you're uh, homeless, and it's a pretty tough thing here in Champaign-Urbana. Have you lived in Champaign-Urbana for long? Eight years. I've, yeah. I've lived here eight years. I've watched all kinds of changes. But shutting down the shelters is a, it's a, the most appalling thing to me. This is a very rich community. They're bringing 2,800 medical students in here next year, and they don't have a shelter to get people off the street that need help. Right. And I'm fortunate enough that I can know how to do it out here, but a lot of them can't. Okay, so, so I ask you, um, when I first sat down with you, um, do you have a tent? And you told me. Yes, I have one. I have all kinds of camping gear. You cannot put a tent in this town. You'll be arrested by an antenna. They need a tent city. I would like to see somebody have a square block where someone like me could actually control it. You come in, if it's your place, you go through a gate. It's not going to happen. There's too many egotistical, really rich people here that don't want anybody. Um, they're, they're trying to run the homeless out. Well, good luck. When they dumped the backside of Chicago, we got half. Danville got the other half. Yeah. And Decatur got a bunch too. Yeah. So, so good luck. That's what I'm going to say. It's going to get worse. The crime scene will go off the wall. I predicted this, and it will happen. Yeah. And where do you? Uh, so you can't sleep on park benches here, even you told me. Oh no, no. They'll they're they're lighting up on a little bit because they don't know what to do with anybody. Yeah. But you have to hide to sleep. Absolutely, you have to hide. Right. And cover up, and this, and, and that's pretty appalling in a way. And I mean, I'm a little better off than a lot of people because of my ex-military experiences and stuff. I know how to do this, and I'm trying to help people get off drugs. But so you consider helping people get off drugs kind of your vocation? That's what it is. I'm retired, and I've buried eight of my friends, OD'd before, and. I do not. I might as well try to help. Uh-huh. That's what I want to do. And I have a. You've got to be down on their level to talk to them. Uh-huh. You can't be looking down on them and beating them with a the Bible. It doesn't work. Uh-huh. They they have to trust you. That's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And uh, how do you get by? So you say you're retired. Do you have any kind of income or pension? Yeah, I'm on Social Security. Uh huh. So where do you get your checks? It's direct deposit, Busey Bank. Oh. Good, good. So I guess the first of the month's a little easier than the last of the month. Mine's the middle of the month. <laughs> My last name's Todd. <laughs> oh, I got you. Some I got people you. get it to first. We get it in the middle of the month. I got you. Uh, but it's... Um, what did you do this winter? Actually, I was off the street this winter. This coming winter, if things haven't changed, I'm trying to find someone to partner on an apartment where I can have a nice one to split. I had it going, and my friend was a taxi driver. He had to move to Springfield. His daughter got sick. 
So if I find somebody, I'll probably be here. But if not, I am going south. Uh-huh. I can get my check anywhere in the United Right. States. So with your disability check, if you can find affordable. It's disability. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Social Security, social Security right. Because you're retired. I'm old. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, so it, with your Social Security check, if you um, had a roommate and a re- and reasonable rent, you could actually make it without and not be homeless in oh, the winter. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. We did it before and it was great. Everything in this town is way too expensive. You can't afford it. To do it, the time you'd pay five, six hundred dollars and a hundred dollar utility, and then you pay your cell phone and all this stuff. I don't know if anybody can live on 150 bucks a month mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, go out and live. But that's kind of the deal. Um, it's, it's just, but things are going to change in this town as you go up toward Lincoln Square on green for rent, for rent, for rent, for rent. you never, ever seen that. They put in 16 high-rises. All these kids and these med students, they're not going to go into old converted homes. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming up in a year, I think, for rent, or they're going to tear the homes down. Yeah, it's uh, it's a mystery how they think they can support this much uh, housing in, in town. You counted 16 new high-rises? Yes. 16, and there's 2,800 new medical students coming in here. I've talked to two or three pre-runners. Uh-huh. And one kid, his father is a heart surgeon out of Peoria. He's in his fifth year now. He's out and set up this. Another gal, she is a neurosurgeon. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's happening. It's, uh-huh. it's really coming. Uh-huh. And, and uh, which will be great for the town. But uh, it's gonna it's gonna change. Uh-huh. If, How do you keep up on current affairs? How do you know all this? I've got uh, uh, News Gazette and the internet. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> all right, all right. Anything else you want to say to the progressive people of Champaign Urbana? Well, not really. Just hang in there and try to help make it better. Try to help the people on the streets. We, we've got. Uh, in Urbana, in Champaign, I can walk around at night and there's someone in every park bench. Yeah. And what will happen is the crime rate's going to go off the wall. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad part. And half of these people are really good people. They just had a bad day. And the other other part are just criminals. But yeah. 50% are really yeah. Do you have um, uh, lunch at Daily Bread Soup Kitchen every day? No, no, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, I know all those people. I was going to say, uh, maybe we, if I wanted to find you, maybe that's where I could find you? Possibility, but not every day. Okay. Uh, I go in the walk-in shelter, see... Oh, the Phoenix? The Phoenix. I go to the Phoenix every now and then, and, and, that, and then I, I, I'm not going to say anything about that anymore. And that, that's <laughs> all I'm going to read between the lines. Okay. And as, you know, I'm not going to down them, but I'm not going to up them by any means. By any means. Well, tell me. Come in. You can tell me. No, I can't. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm not, not, we won't do that then. We won't go there. All right, Don. Well, thanks. It's nice getting to know you. And it, and it's kind of like the Salvation Army. I've worked with them people. I have a friend that has a permanent job there. His father's on the advisory board. I really would like to rip them apart, uh-huh. but I'm not going to hurt them people. Right. Read between the lines. Okay. That's all I can say. Okay, will do. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're more on your phone. Progressive News, and I'm here to report now on the um, Champaign County Nursing Home. On Tuesday, April 4th, voters in Champaign and Urbana voted strongly to support the Champaign County Nursing Home by voting for a modest increase in property taxes and voting against giving the Champaign County Board authority 
to sell the nursing home. However, turnout outside of Champaign and Urbana was heavy due to contested mayoral and board seats, and voting there outweighed turnout in Champaign-Urbana, leading to an overall total against the property tax and for giving the county board authority to sell the home. All my information today is taken from the Public Eye, a newspaper of the IMC, and this article that I'm quoting now was written by Michael Wilmore. It's in the May edition, which you can find all over town. Certainly, you can find it at the Food Co-op, at Weft, at Cafe Kopi, at, um, and at the IMC. This article is titled, CU Voters Value Nursing Home Polls. Nursing Home at Polls, sorry. Yes, CU Voters Value Nursing Home at the Polls. So to continue, he says, continuing the fight to preserve the nursing home as a public resource with health care access for the entire community, some county board members and community activists are pointing to support the nursing home while faulting low overall turnout and misleading information regarding finances and quality of care at the nursing home for the election outcome. He says that the faulty the, part of the fault is in this rating system that showed that the Champaign County Nursing Home had low ratings, meaning um, low quality of service. But Kathy Emanuel, current member of the Nursing Home Advisory Board, described the problem. In the last publication of the five-star rating score, there was a significant error in one of the three factors that determines the rating. The rating is based on the annual inspection score, staffing levels, and quality measures. There was a data entry error by the state which understated the staffing hours for the CNAs, the Certified Nursing Assistants, by nearly 40%. And the state corrected this after it was brought to their attention. The updated calculation and star ratings will be published in May, and it is likely it will raise the star rating for staffing and may affect the overall rating. She quotes, The Champaign County Nursing Home has since 2014, when compared with other homes in Champaign-Urbana, had a higher-than-average rating for staffing hours and an overall staff rating on par with other CU nursing homes. Up until February 2016, they had a four stars for staffing and two stars for an overall rating. The only nursing home in Champaign County that consistently outscored was Clark Lindsay Village, which has a small number of beds, only 25, and of course accepts no Medicaid patients. They also go on to talk about other scare tactics that were um, used at the uh, to try to get people to vote against the nursing home. And that was um, about, uh, they go on to say that the faults of the for-profit privatization are serious, which is why experts in healthcare support the nursing home as a public entity. And um, they quote Claudia Lenhoff, the director of the Champaign County Healthcare Consumers, she states that selling the nursing home to a private for-profit company is not something that our organization would want. We know that large national studies that use data from Medicare, Medicaid, and public health departments that for-profit nursing homes have significantly lower quality of care than public or not-for-profit nursing homes. But what about the future? They go on to talk about what is going to be happening. First of all, they remind us that in February 2017, a report commissioned by the county board, then a expert, Ron Aldrich, recommended against selling or closing the nursing home. So the board themselves did a study, did a, ask to have a study done independently, and he concluded that in the event the nursing home was closed, the needy and the at-risk populations would likely suffer the most, or if it was sold, there would be a consequence for the needy and at-risk if all long-term care providers were for-profit. These conclusions came from a careful examination of the population of the nursing home and the skilled care options that are provided at the nursing home. Mr. Aldridge pointed to factors which led to financial strain at the nursing home. One, the cost of construction and accompanying problems in the building the, uh, when they built the current location in 2005, which, unlike other county entities, are paid for out of the nursing home's operating budget and the unusually long delay in Medicaid payments owed by the state of Illinois for services already provided by the nursing home to, the, to Champaign County. 
The real financial challenges at the nursing home have been made even more severe by the repeated assertions that sale or closure are imminent. Decisions made by the families are understandably changed by the perception of the instability of an institution, so says Michael Wilmore, who am I quoting, who wrote this article. So the current census numbers at the nursing home are lower than they have been in many years. So just to recap that, some of the problems are with the state. Some of the problems are that the county decided for some reason that the county nursing home has to support the building of the nursing home when, in fact, of course, the jail doesn't have to support the building of the jail and the courthouse doesn't have to support the building of the courthouse, etc. So that's um, a, a change. And then what's happening with the state budget and the fact that the census is down because people are afraid to put their people there because they're afraid it will close all right on with this um josh harkey goes on to talk more about the fact uh, he's a he is a nursing home uh, board member and also on the county board and he um, talks in his story in the public eye he it called our seniors are still not for sale um, he really talks a lot about the magic that is the Champaign County Nursing Home, how vital it is to good care and how many people really have had excellent care there um, and how many people came forward during this time when the ballot was open to talk about all of their care there. He says, everyone from spouses to siblings to children have stories of how their loved one was treated at our home, and most of these stories feed directly into the people that work there. Some of these employees have been there only a few months, some longer than 30 years, but they all make a commitment to caring. They deserve the credit for what happens at the home, not the blame for the financial woes caused by the failure of the state. He goes on to say, it therefore becomes the responsibility of the county board to step up and manage this public asset so that it does not become a private for-profit center. If it does, the very advantages that have made that nursing home such a special place for over a century will disappear in the name of personal profits for shareholders or board members of a private entity. Entity. Those who stand for public health care and its many facets must unite around the home. It is our local extension of the greater progressive movement and a desire for a Medicaid-for-all system, a single-payer option, just like the rest of the industrialized world. Because if we do not care for our own folks in Champaign County, who will? The same people that made promises that failed in the privatization of the nursing home in Vermilion County? He says, not while I'm a county board member and not while so many of my colleagues stand with me. While this election may not have worked the way we wanted, it was by no means a mandate. And as far as we are concerned, our seniors are still not for sale. Again, all of that reported from the Public Eye, a newspaper of the people, a paper of the people, put out by the Independent Media Center, or Urbana-Champaign Independent Media Center, which you can pick up around town. Progressive News, I'm Sandra Otten. for a campus visit, they only experience the sanitized history of U of I. They don't tell them the history of police brutality on this campus. They don't tell them the history of racism and xenophobia. And this is important for them to know because no matter where they go, they need to be, they will be faced with all of this and more and need to be prepared. They need to know that our space in academia was never given. It was demanded by students of color. Our presence here at this university is not valued. This is why we have to talk about the 1992 protests. This is why we have to talk about Project 500. We have to commemorate the struggles and the, and the accomplishments of these past students, but also acknowledge that there's a lot of work to still be done. So with that being said, um, we'll have someone introduce the, the next, or well, I want to introduce our next speaker. Um, my name is Amal Mir. Um, I'm a sophomore here, and I am a part of Students for Justice in Palestine. 
Uh, we gather here today to reinforce the ties between communities of color, as well as reaffirm our purpose of leading the transformation of our campus community. The unexplained termination of Mr. Lou Turner is a reflection of what may happen in terms of the recovery of the Department of African American Studies, and it is a direct attack on the black campus community. As you may recall, this action is very similar to the case of Dr. Stephen Salaita um, and the Department of Native American Studies. Both of these individuals challenge students to think critically about social constructs as well as the history of oppressive forces and their termination is a reflection of the continuous threat to academic freedom. This is a prime example of how the establishment, although they claim they are for inclusive environments, limits the effectiveness of our own institutions. Once the establishment feels threatened, they use tools of suppression of academic freedom and pervasive yet invisible anti-blackness to shut us down. But we are not ignorant. We see exactly what this university is doing. And we are here to seek equitable power within these institutions. This university has done everything in their power to deliberately keep our organizations and institutions weak. These oppressive campus trends of suppression, censorship, disparate treatment, and bureaucratic barriers are deliberately put in place to silence us. But we will not be silenced. The roots of these issues stem from the same oppression, white supremacy and neoliberalism. These struggles are interconnected, so our resistance will continue to be as well. We must openly recognize the role that coalition politics plays in collectively resisting this administration as well as other repressive institutions. We will not allow the firing of other radical faculty or staff of color in other gender or ethnic departments. This revolution is ongoing. This ends only when those in power respect our rights as students by guaranteeing and in fact encouraging our right to speak out criticize irresponsible leadership, and to hold this administration accountable for its failures and shortcomings. Let us not forget that we have the right to demand accountability from our school and to speak out freely against corruption and injustice. Our solidarity is with our black community. We will continue to shame this university until they meet the demands of our students. We are capable of taking care of our own futures, and we are powerful and we will reclaim this university. Thank you. Woo! The people united will never be defeated. The people united will never be defeated. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. I'd like to welcome some of the original protesters up to read the original 1992 demands. Thank you everyone for coming out to this rally. A little bit did we know 25 years ago as student activists, much like you, uh, taking on the issues of the university, uh, their support for students of color, their supports on the issues that matter to us. Little did we know that we'd still be here 25 years later demanding the same rights for all students of the university. We are so excited to see, because we keep hearing people commemorating our protests, but we're like, when's the next one coming, right? We want to hear what you guys are active about, what's important in this day and age, especially with the current political climate nationally, right? And seeing everyone come together to face the same challenges that we were facing, but in a different context and time. So we want to read some of the original demands. My name, I'm sorry, my name is uh, Chuy Chavez. Uh, I am a grad 95, math education. I was one of the organizers of the 1992 protests, uh, along with my uh, roommate here, Julio. Uh, we walked over to the Henry Building, much on a day like this, in Cinco de Mayo, uh, 5th of May, 1992. A coalition of different faces from different backgrounds, everyone unified in our demands. While they were called the Latino demands, in reality, uh, they were demands that represented all of our needs and a, a reflection of what everyone needed. We had a big symbol at the time in the chief, and the mascot, and the very few, very underrepresented under Native American students who were fighting that symbol and needed all of us to support them and be allies, not just in charity, but in solidarity. 
We have the African-American students who are also facing issues in keeping their cultural center open. This is also the age of Rodney King and you know, the police brutality, which has always been part of our history here in the United States. And we had Sister Soldier come down, early hip-hop rapper, who took everyone out of this union and said, what are we doing sitting here in classes? We gotta be out in the streets. And we took over Green Street, and we took over Wright Street, and we marched around the entire campus, making the police very afraid of what student power looks like. And all of that in that time inspired us to talk about the issues that we need to talk about. So let's see if they still sound familiar, if there's still something that the university has to do today to address these issues. So I'm gonna read the first four uh, uh, demands that we had and see if they're still valid in what you think in this day and age. So under recruitment and retention, we demanded a breakdown of the term Hispanic. Because often the university would say, well, we're, we have all these Hispanic students but they counted very rich, privileged students from other countries that didn't represent the population of the state of Illinois. Not that we don't need students from every country, of course we do, but they intentionally tried to cover up the underrepresentation of the groups that needed it in our own state. So at that time, we were 11% of the state population. We were, only, we were less than 7% population here in the university, right? So almost half. We demanded Latino, Latino graduation figures are at least equivalent to the percentage of Latinos in the state. At that time, 11%. Now we're closer to, what, 17%, I believe? We demand that the peer retention program, which was our primary way of retaining uh, students of color and, and Latinos at the time, become stabilized and implement a budget policy. Because just as we, uh, the compañera just mentioned previously, a lot of the times the universities keep our institutions and our programs weak. They want to say they're doing something really great, but then when it comes down to actually providing budget, sure there's budget for the games, there's budget for the chief costume, there's budget for everything else, but there's no budget for our retention programs where it's sorely needed. And the fourth one for us was also demand a concerted effort be made to recruit students from inner city schools as well, right? So a lot of times, many students from uh, schools, and not just inner city schools, but underrepresented schools all over uh, many suburbs and areas in uh, farms and farm, farm uh, counties, etc. in Illinois, don't ever have access to seeing someone who went to the university. Many of us were first generation, many of you might be first generation or second generation, or might not have people who, in your field of study who you might have talked to in your families. The university shouldn't just go to the same old schools recruiting the same old population. If that, they'll never, they'll never be able to change the makeup of the kind of students that we want here. If we want a University of Illinois that serves all of the state of university and not just the same privileged groups, we want to make sure that they have those programs in place. So those were all our demands at the time. What do you all think? Are those still demands that you have to make at this time? Yes. Great. So thank you so much. I'll let Julio introduce himself as well. Hey, hey. What's up? Woo! Beautiful day, right? This weather. I'm, I'm kind of hot right now, but you know, I had to visit a class. I'm older, so I couldn't be college like and come out with the sandals, <laughs> you know. But I did come out rocking this, and that's what we're about. Woo! That's what we're about back in the days. Uh, not only is this dope, but it's uh, an original pop locker from the LA Breakers who moved to Chicago, hooked this up, Pop and Chuck. Check them out. I'm Facebook, Pop and Chuck. But basically, uh, I just want to thank uh, the Machista students and everybody else that's here, the Palestinian brothers and sisters, who as a freshman actually put me on the struggle of the Palestinian community when they were, they were here on the, on the yard and they were being disrespected by a bunch of Israeli students or, that came out with their flags yelling, and we had to come out and let them know, hey, get your flag above my head, because that's not my flag, I'm Mexican. <laughs> and, and please be respectful, you know? You didn't reserve the choir, let these brothers and sisters speak. And from that day, the Palestinian brothers and sisters invited us to their mosque. And to this day, as a Mexican brother, we're still hand in hand with Iman on the south side of Chicago, the Palestinian brothers and sisters in, uh, at the park. But, uh, as far as uh, my experience here, you know, it was beautiful days here besides what we had to deal with. But beautiful in the sense that we had, we created community here. You know, brown, black, Asian, Palestinian. We were all just, you know, standing up for what we believed in. You know, we're being mistreated and we had to, you know, do the do. 
as Master P would say, be bout it, bout it. <laughs> if y'all remember all the old schoolers, y'all don't remember Master P? Y'all be bout it, bout it. So, uh, you know, we did that. The whole Rodney King thing, I want big up the Black House, my boy Dino Pollock, David Pollock, and all the activists from the Black House, because they, you know, it was, we were all together. I was looking at a picture, then I see, you know, right here outside the administration building, and when we were inside getting arrested, tased, and disrespected, a lot of the brothers were outside just ready, just in case something went down outside. So, uh, and the struggles that they're suffering, you know? We're discriminated on, but they're killing black folks like nothing, you know? And everybody here, if you're, if, if you're human, you know, you have to check that and check each other, you know? As students here, you have to communicate, build community, and for that I give props to the machistas because the university never reached out to us. You know, they laughed in our face. They basically were like, you know, when they were being interviewed by the news, they were like, oh yeah, we're working with the students. We got committees set up. <laughs> you know, but in our face, they were really laughing and say, really, you guys are crazy. We're not, pretty much they said, we're not giving you jack. You know, so uh, just keep it going, because things haven't changed, things have gotten worse. And, and I bring this up like, the day after this buster, Scrum got elected, uh, I have families in Minnesota, black and Latino, that were being disrespected by all these students that felt empowered to, you know, disrespect. And, and bully, and this bullying continues. And y'all have to step up and defend yourselves and defend your brothers and sisters. Because if you don't, who's gonna do it? You know, the cops aren't gonna do it. Some might, but really, systematically, they're not. So uh, educate yourselves, raise consciousness, you know, and build community. You have to, because I mean, look where you're at, and you have to, it's all about education. Everything we did was about educating each other, and we got attacked for it. We, we've been educating back in Chicago and in the city, west side, south side, and we still get attacked for just educating. Now, if you don't allow us to educate, when the stuff really goes down, I mean, what do you expect us to do? If you don't change things now, Things are gonna get worse in the future, and uh, responses are gonna be more drastic. I got Malcolm right here. You know, it's not accidental. What he spoke is still true today. You know, some of you might disagree on certain things, but what he spoke was the truth. And all these brothers back here, so we have to, you know, be conscious of that and keep, you know, demand change. If you don't ask for it, then I can give you anything. You have to demand and make change. So with that, deuces, and thank you for coming. So yeah, this is great to be able to have um, sort of new and old demands and um, current activism, activism students, and those who started and who actually worked on writing those demands. Yeah, so right now we're going to have um, Alana read her poem. Hey everybody. Alright, this piece is called Can You Hear Us Now? It seems like our voices aren't being heard. Like Every single word falls on deaf ears. Our fears are that we are not being represented. Presented tears of plenty of years of struggles. Discontented by the fingers of oppression wrapped around our neck, choking the us out of us. Stifling our momentum, crippling our sound, trying to wash away the richness of our black and our brown. No value, our colored bodies not gaining wealth by the pound. We yell out our demands, get your hands off of me. Can you hear us now? That same hand constricting our necks, not letting us breathe, not letting us speak. They assume that our accented and slanged English must make our minds weak. 
Our linguistic capital is so much more, and this simple is acknowledgement is what we're fighting for. Our brown and black bodies, boldly blended colors, our splendid colors, think 1,000. With all of our funds of knowledge and what our college doesn't seem to acknowledge is that we are great. And although these demands are not filled with hate, they still and give us these rights because our brown is not white and our black is not light. The hand is still upon us. Show that a line I pride, they say. They say U of I is a place of diversity and inclusion, but it's our 5 and 13% that face the most adversity and confusion, the microaggressions and financial recession, they take a personal toll. So I took a poll to see if anybody else who looked something like me was ready to make a change. The system of educational oppression will nickel and dime us no more. We are black and brown, and our color fuels our sound, so hear us roar. No longer will the system of, of, of oppression put its hands on our bodies and take advantage of us. No more. Can you hear us now? So we demand an institution where we won't be tuition slaves to the man. We demand the community and unity and together we will stand. We demand that we look around and we can hold on to more people of the same colored hand. We demand that no other person can take advantage or violate us without proper punishment so that we can rebuild and retrust. We demand a band to the box that encloses and confines and leaves opportunities declined for someone who already did their time. We demand respect and resources for the LGBTQIA and trans and that we will always and that they will always be a part of the plans. We demand better. We demand a transformed university. Can you hear us now? Woo! Thank you for listening to CU Progressive News. The views and opinions have been solely those of the speakers. The podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Botanical, providing exceptional service and quality medicine to those that can benefit from medical cannabis. PhoenixBotanical.net.